1: hey friends it's your girl amber just wanted to pop on and remind you to support our patreon if you can for just three dollars four dollars even five dollars a month we do have some new patrons that just joined the party so welcome these five patrons tracy lindsey misty yessie and kendra for those of you who are still debating whether you should sign up or not we're going to post more exclusive content on that patreon page and then also for next episode we will be announcing the winner of the book giveaway we'll be giving away the world fantasy award-winning book new sons and we're going to be writing that special patron oh can't talk and we're gonna be writing that special patron a little letter from the amber wallen ben wallen household so please be sure to join our patreon and let's get started with the show welcome to the sci-fi sci under the believe podcast network about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page of our marriage. Today for episode 40, we'll be discussing the 2021, why did I say like that? 2021 comedy horror film The House Next Door, Meet the Blacks 2. Directed by Dion Taylor. There will be spoilers. Before we get started, Ben, how'd you sleep last night, baby?
2: I slept through the tornado warning. <laughs>
1: I don't even know we, I mean we were so tired last night. Uh what did we even do yesterday that took up all our time? Oh, you did something great. Why don't you share a little bit about what you did yesterday? I'm so proud of you.
2: I don't know what you're talking about.
1: You know, you didn't work for months presenting a paper to oh. this science fiction convention and oh. we, we don't run a science okay. fiction podcast. No, you don't know it, what I'm talking about.
2: It's not one, it's not a science fiction convention. It's a science fiction academic conference. That yeah, is that's a the same dis- thing. no it's not. It's distinctly different. Uh, conventions don't have the kind of academic rigor that an academic conference is. So, yeah, I presented a paper <laughs> on me. virtual That's education in science fiction stories. So, I did, I read like, I don't know, maybe eight novels and uh, watched a couple of movies and did research on how virtual education is being done now and the future of it. And basically, my conclusion is that. I think human educators are going to go the way of uh, human cashiers, and in-person learning is going to be reserved for the upper class. And pretty soon, all children will be dropped off in learning hubs and set in front of a computer. Uh, especially poorer black and brown children. Based, that's what my research revealed to me.
1: Yeah, like self-checkout for for but for teaching.
2: But for teaching, because it's cheaper, and you know, historically, we don't really care about. In the U.S., we don't really care about the education of poor yeah. students, generally, and specifically black students, and we're experimenting on them right now with For this sure. with this kind of virtual education. So,
1: and so you just did a paper about like how sci-fi teaches us about like that's what's what's coming and what's on the horizon.
2: Yeah, yeah, and yeah, essentially, science fiction stories tend to be a little bit more optimistic and interestingly enough one of the stories that I did read sort of inverted what the current of virtual education is in which uh, only students who are like bad students and need extra support are going to in-person learning so walk uh, what is it walk like a man by Nisi Shaw sort of dealt with that where most students are working remotely but the ones with like, you know, quote unquote IEPs or, or independent learning contracts or students with special needs um, is a term probably most people would be more familiar with are going to in-person learning. So, yeah, it, it was really, really fun to do this research and then present it.
1: Really, really fun.
2: It was really fun uh, <laughs> because I think what it get, then gave me was tools to deconstruct um, this trend. And sort of fight against this trend. It it was harmful. And it was cool to hear professors uh, at universities like sharing things like uh, how at certain um, programs, first-year writing is graded by an AI. Wow. And so (laughs) this one professor was telling me, he's like, I read the papers that my students write, and then I write them individual notes. And that student was shocked. They're like, oh, at my business classes, they just write, put it in a system and the computer gives me a one to five.
0: Mm.
1: That's that's bonkers that AI grades writing. But it's it's the way of the future. That is scary. So let's talk a little bit about some positive sci-fi news, right? Apple podcast ratings in this bitch. Uh, uh, uh. Yep. That is my sound effect. Okay, I am only have two to read today, and we just want to invite all of you out there to complete an Apple Podcast rating. We understand that finances are tough, so Apple Podcast ratings are another way to support. This one actually does come from a patron, Brick. Brick writes, Amber and Ben are the GOAT. Love this podcast. I've been a fan of these two since discovering their TikTok. I was thrilled to discover that they had a weekly podcast reviewing many of the same types of books and movies I enjoy. Their conversations are top notch. They provide the perfect blend of of intelligent insight with comedic twist. I really enjoy and appreciate both Amber and Ben's viewpoint as they are so relatable. I find myself laughing out loud at their back and forth. So if you want to chuckle and an awesome book or movie review and recommendation follow this podcast you'll love it by the way i'm also a part of the georgia new york love connection my hubby's from savannah georgia all right and i'm from brooklyn new york shout out to ben represent Woo. i know ben is so happy brick if you could see that one day this this podcast will be a uh, visual ben just smiled so big when when he was able to represent that uh, and then the last one, 706 may represent, this is from JAA 0829, um, 706 Ben, that's the area code. You know, Ben doesn't know my phone number y'all, but we'll get there. Amber and Ben, this is brilliant. Proud to yell. I went to high school with her when people share y'all's content. Yay. Please let me know who you are out there. Cause I can't tell from this handle, but we did graduate Clark central 2009. Okay. Ben. I was about to see. Yes, Ben. 706 means Athens. That's Athens, Georgia area code. I can't give the rest of the, the number, obviously, because people will blow me up. Um, but Ben no, never remembers yourself. my number. People will blow me up, Ben. If I just yourself. share my number on the air, that's exactly what's going to happen. Anti way, scanty way. So to recap, we are here to talk about the movie The House Next Door Meet the Blacks 2. I still. Struggled to say that because for some reason it wasn't just called meet the blacks to the house next door but everything in this movie is backwards so that makes sense uh when we last spoke about this movie we had gone over the characters and we had gone over some what the fuck moments um, some things that we talked about, we were like, will there be justice for Ming, the nail tech that was never paid? Uh, that was a hard no. And then we were wondering sort of like what was going to happen with the whole Charlie Murphy situation as he passed away. And they sort of did something at the end of the movie with that, but it it was misplaced and strange.
2: There was no connection between the two movies, for example, besides the characters. For example, the first movie is a parody of post-apocalyptic Uh, stories and this is a parody of you know vampire tales uh specifically this would fall underneath the genre of funny fantasy which my favorite author is what kind of author your favorite author yeah who's my favorite author terry Pratchett. yeah and he is a writer of funny fantasy which i love and he has a vampire in his stories who doesn't um want to be like a blood-sucking vampire so he's taken the oath sort of like an aa meeting not to drink human blood and there's a whole running bit on that and then he also doesn't want to you know be this like castle owner, so his real dream is to be a photographer for a newspaper.
1: Wait, so this is a character in...
2: and Terry Pratchett. Okay,
1: let's let's break everything you just said. Because so, uh, I was like, Terry Pratchett made a vow? Okay, no. So no Terry, Terry Pratchett Fr- wrote what book that you're referring to right now?
2: The Discworld series. In the Discworld which is, series, there's which is one funny, character. Which is funny fantasy. Okay. And The House Next Door is funny fantasy. Okay. Specifically relating to vampires. Got you. And this is my favorite kind of genre, so I had really high hopes. And uh, some of the things, you can do lots of crazy things or i should not say crazy but lots of silly fun things and one of the silly fun things that you can do is create a vampire who's part of like an aa group
1: okay uh, yeah
2: right takes the oath not to drink human blood and that's what terry pratchett does with vampire and also doesn't want to be like you know your standard castle living vampire and his dream is to be part of a newspaper as a photographer but guess what as we saw in this film, when you flash someone with, like, lights, what happens to them if you're a vampire? Remember? They, uh,
1: like, combust.
2: Yeah, they blow up. So w- the way he gets around it in this Terry Pratchett world is that he always keeps, like, a little uh, pocket of blood. So every time he takes a picture, he falls into dust. But when he falls into dust, this little glass vial breaks, and that blood helps regenerate him. so oh. So it's sort of him trying to work around, like, Loving light and loving cameras, but being a vampire and that parody is—it's just so much fun. But this movie sucked <laughs> and did nothing with that. Like, it did
1: it you, well. We had to see it in theaters, so I was really excited that we oh, were yeah, like, "Let's talk about Let, that. Let's go to the movies to see it, and let's just do the big popcorn. Maybe that'll enhance the experience." Um When I went to like, let's start at the top of this journey. I right? love that. Yeah. When I went to buy the movie tickets, all of the seats were available. To- <laughs> And I did not try to buy this movie like days in advance. I woke up Sunday morning. It was like, Oh Ben, let's just book the five o'clock. And around noon, I booked this five o'clock movie and we were the only confirmed two seats there. I also think that we were only, um, I also think we were, you know, two of the only people that paid to see the movie. So I think when we actually got into the movie theater, there were three other people in there. So five of us total, but, the other people did not pay for seats because I saw them come in like halfway through the movie. Or at one point I came in and the and the two seats that we booked, two people were sitting there. Yeah, when we first came in. <laughs> so I was like, I mean well, yeah, they what, clearly just came up in here. Which is fine. I used no, to movie happen as a kid all the time.
2: No, 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 no. The I I know what you're referring to because those two kids went and talked to the person, said, Hey, where's the movie theater for the the movie that we were saying, and they said the same number uh theater 14 so they did pay but, oh, but well they i did, don't care if they didn't they, they didn't did have not to pay. They, should, okay. they didn't need to pay they did movie. not uh pay attention to where their seats should be and so there's like four people in the movie theater and two of those people sat in the seats that we actually bought and paid for which, which is hilarious which was you know whatever but uh also you sort of talked me through a hack of like popcorn like you i
1: learned that on t-top man really TikTok. like it was
2: it, because the butter was so properly um you know distributed <laughs> throughout i mean that was really the highlight of this movie
1: it really was the straw butter trick i will post to the patreon uh for those
2: who yeah, missed just it on go the ahead Instagram, to, story go ahead and explain it
1: I mean, it's it's not even that difficult. You just take a straw. If you you know, if you buy a large tub of butter and they they're already pre made, you take a straw, you stick it in the down in the popcorn, and you like I don't know funnel or siphon butter, and then you know how you hold the top of a straw and it maintains the liquid where yeah. you can sort of like a chemist pour butter throughout the popcorn. So that was just a magical journey that I had. Uh, Like I said, I'll post the video, but we, we set all that up. We walk into this movie. It's a very, very small crowd. Uh, So we press play. (laughs) It feels like we press play, but somebody in the booth pressed play. And then we got started and the opening scene. So if you remember the last time we saw the movie, the opening scene was like comic book style. Well, This movie was only made four years ago. This opening scene was not drawn like that, but it still started sort of like an animated effect. And the first thing I noticed is that the movie uh, now, instead of Carl Black sort of telling the story at the top of the movie, it was um, Allie Black, the daughter, who's like actually, you know, 37, playing a teenager. And she was like, so me, daddy and the family moved back to Atlanta, which was the first uh red flag because in the entire first movie they said like back in chicago back in chicago back in chicago and then she was like so we're going back to atlanta so it was already like oh god y'all don't even remember y'all's like y'all don't even remember what y'all wrote for the last movie okay and then it just sort of went downhill from there right
2: oh yeah it it was pretty terrible so essentially getting into the summary the blacks moved to atlanta And Carl Black has made it big with, I guess, quote-unquote, made it big by writing about his experience during The Purge. And now he's working on a news story, but he's sort of hitting writer's block. And all the money from his first story has gone into a big, massive trailer that his cousin, Cronut, got him to buy so that they could go on tour. And as he's writing this new horror story, which... The way he starts it is actually probably only the funny, the funniest parts of the movie, where he's like, "It was a dark, dark, uh race it in a in a, a house, so he can't really get beyond like a prepositional pra- phrase." Uh, and it was great. So anyway, writer's block, and then a vampire moves next door, and then half of the movie is him and Cronut thinking like, "Is this vampire real or not?" and his the rest of his family being like stop it dad you're you're annoying and harassing our neighbors and then the rest of the movie is them trying to kill the vampire and the said vampire is the one and only Cat Williams.
1: Cat Williams carried this fucking movie. Like all of the best funny parts that were not offensive were deli- were lines delivered by Cat Williams. Hands down.
2: Yeah, and Talking about doing funny fantasy things, they sort of present Cat Williams as like a pimp. And I thought it was really funny that you can actually have vampire pimps or vampires (laughs) were like the OG pimps. And they could have leaned into that a little bit more.
1: But that's honestly Cat Williams' whole aesthetic. Like his first, like I I know I used to watch his stand-up set, uh, The Pimp Chronicles, over and over again with the one where he's in that like velvet green jacket. Like, so he brought all those ideas to the table. And so Deion Taylor, at what point are you going to bring something distinct to this? Because if everybody just brings their own aesthetic, you know, shit fire, the musical, it was a shitty show that I did at the annoyance a long time ago, but everybody brought their own aesthetic and, When there's like little coaching and directing with that, it's just not cohesive. It doesn't matter how funny somebody is. What you shaking your head about that for?
2: Don't be throwing yourself underneath the bus.
1: It wasn't cohesive. Well, it was a talented cast. It was a great director, but it was not cohesive. The writing process was just like, write what you want and we'll just put it up.
2: Okay, so let's actually talk about one of my favorite shows at the theater that you're referencing so there's a show called uh hitch cocktails at the annoyance theater which you did this one show that you weren't really a fan of
1: yeah but i've done other shows that, yeah. the annoyance that i loved i just wanted exactly. to point that one out yeah right
2: and so this entire movie sort of reminded me of the kind of long-form improv where you're like okay we're gonna start the improv this way sort of in hitch cocktails like there's going to be a murder mystery And we're going to end it sort of this way in which they discover the murderer at the end. And sort of, this is how this movie felt. Like, we're like, okay, we're going to have you move next door. And at the end of the movie, the vampire has to die. But y'all can do whatever the fuck you want between. There was no writing. Or if there was writing, it could have been written by an AI. Because I'm telling you, like, lines were just repeated over over and over again. Like, this is crazy. This is nuts, or, or like um, a lot of the the gags were just people swearing at each other, like "bitch," you stupid fucking bitch, or you know, making fun of each other's, uh, you know, colorism, you know, embracing colorism, like oh, you're darker than this, or you're darker than that, or yeah,
1: which is funny the first or second time, but the seventeenth time, not at all, and also, uh, I would say so. To, to, to get into some specific characters here. Lil Duval's character, uh, Cronut, uh, Lil Duval gave a more elevated performance this time around. I will say that. Uh he, he had a big fuck up near the end and we'll get there. But he did a good job being much more likable and less aggressive. But this dynamic between Mike Epps and Lil Duval kind of doesn't work because they sort of have the same character. And In order for that dynamic to work, you need, you know, sort of like one straight man and then one goofy, like two goofies next to each other don't make sense. Like, so when I think about like all the great dynamic duos of black movies, sort of like Friday, right? You got Smokey, who's like the goofy, and you got Craig that's like, what you doing? Like... And there was none of that dynamic with Mike Epps and Lil Duvall. So you're you're looking at both of them like these are two goofies trying to one up each other by calling each other like you a bitch nigga this, you a bitch nigga that. And it just feel it just falls flat. It's a waste of time. The editing was off. Um, and then Dion Taylor, uh, Ben wants to make a comment about that. Go ahead, baby.
2: Yeah. Well, to your point, because Cat Williams plays this composed calm like he talks like this and when he's interacting with you know uh carl and cronut and their sort of franticness it works some of those scenes actually do work and they're Mm -hmm. goofy and they're fun because of the dynamic but when you have two like you said two uh, highly elevated characters which was most of the movie, their interactions was... Elevated
1: car- as in what you mean? What you mean. Like elevated mm-hmm. meaning
2: like... Oh, I do not like Goofy. <laughs> like, uh, you know, high voice, frantic hand movements. Yes. There was a lot, a lot of that. And you need to balance that with yes. like the calm, cool, collective kind of characters. And that's why, you know, the scenes with Cat Williams did work so well in, yes. in many ways. Um, I do want to talk about little Duval's like character development because he sort of is the one that initiates the investigation mm-hmm. of the vampire next door and is, you know, uh, almost positive that the guy is a vampire. And he's saying in a trailer parked out in front of Carl's house. And when Carl goes in there, there's. This great setup, almost like a, an investigative setup. So there's maps and there's like, you know, thread, thread, and, thread and yeah, and it, it was it, so that was, you know, a nice character development for uh, Cronut as being actually not like this goofy, stupid person from the first movie who just wants to like fuck Carl's wife or, you know, I think the line was like sit on my mustache, like super, super uh, misogynistic and him having more of that character development and intelligence, I think brought more to to Cronut as a character, which by the way, we're gonna see these characters again. they're gonna keep making these kinds of movies,
1: yeah, they already dis- hinted that at the end of the movie um so another thing Dion taylor i and I know this this whole uh episode just is gonna feel like a big one big drag or one big sigh rather, but Dion Taylor, I'm calling you out. Deion Taylor does not know how to cast, film, uh, pro- portray women. You, I don't know. It, what's your beef with women? You hate women. Um, because every woman that he puts in these movies, like the requirement is like must be nude or in a bikini in one scene or another. Must be helpless. Must be highly attractive. Like there are no female characters they get to keep their clothes on including the sister, which is why the sister is, you know, a 28 to 30 year old woman trying to play a, a teenager or a a college student on first year in college on a summer. But it, no woman's is spared her, her body in these movies. And it's just like, okay, we so so the wife has to be naked in this one scene, the freaking Daughter has to be naked and tied up to a thing in one scene. The neighbor's wife next door obviously has to have on a bikini. Like, what? Like, how is this movie okay to be made in 2021? You couldn't have, like, one or two, like, Leslie Jones-style characters, like, coming out. Like, uh, to our point about these whole, like, goofy male characters, like, what balances out all these naked women and their helpless-ass lines?
2: Well, nothing. And I do want to be cautious and, like, I don't. As far as assuming that someone hates women, I think there's a difference between um, sort of a, all right, like, I don't think Dion Taylor is uh, an incel, right?
1: Um, uh, what does that mean?
2: Uh, you know those, like, those, those, uh, cell, like...
1: So you don't even know what it means, great.
2: No, no, no. So there, <laughs> it's this sort of alt-right culture of men who are involuntarily celibate? That's where the word comes from. Incel,
1: they are involuntarily celibate,
2: right? Because no woman wants to be with them, because they have oh. these unrealistic <laughs> expectations of women. Hey, you never heard of incel culture? No. Oh, it's fucking disturbing. Oh my god. So, and, and they, those people, legitimately hate women. They hate women. Their entire basis is that women don't like us, and we're straight. Okay. Because the way they treat women is awful. I don't think Dion Taylor is to that level. I think he does not understand uh, women. I don't think he respects women. I don't think he sees them. I think he has a limited understanding of women's role in, in uh, film yeah. and in improv. I think that's different than saying hating I, thank women. Thank you for
1: unpacking hating women. But, like, to how is it okay for you to make. A feature film, when you don't know how to like write and see and respect women, like like that's my problem. Like in twenty twenty one, now I can see if this was the freaking nineties, everybody did that. Every every female character was the, just there to give body yadi yadi or whatever. But now it's like, come on, Dion, you got to do better than that. You you didn't have one sister or auntie that could have looked over this and said, hmm. I could be the nosy neighbor character or something. It just didn't make any sense.
2: Right. And that is why sensitivity readers of uh, books, but also film and theater are just as important. I, I want to go back to your reference to Leslie Jones because there was a Leslie Jones joke that was so... I mean, we could call it mean. We could call it uh, hateful yeah. in, in this where they reference... Um, like a spike looking like Leslie Jones dildo. And I, I, there was a lot of these jokes that were played for laughs, similar to the first one that did not, that I simply did not find funny. And, you know, some of you are you know, might be wondering like, why the fuck did you go see the sequel? If the first one was also terrible and misogynistic. And I think it, it's,
1: that's a fair question. I think, yeah, <laughs> I think it's
2: a totally fair question. Uh, because we already
1: told the listeners, motherfucker. Go ahead. No.
2: Well, here's the thing. I think there is so little black um, uh, fantastical or speculative film, right? Like, we, mm-hmm. we're we probably going to watch all, all of that, right? Yeah. And there's even less, um, like, black American uh, speculative film, uh, whether Agreed. science fiction or fantasy. So we're sort of limited to what we can watch that's you know number 1 and number 2 there's so few like black funny fantasy right like yeah. this the genre of the genre of the genre and i think we would be doing our our mission a disservice if we were not watching these kinds of things like yeah and it's all part of the megatex uh which is a term in science fiction in which it becomes part of the entire massive text of all things fantasy or science fiction. And so for us to understand the context of future films that deal with funny fantasies, spe- specifically black funny fantasy, you have to watch Meet the Blacks uh, 1 and 2. Which if we're talking about black fantasy, this also falls into the larger megatext of Blackula, which you it can ch- you can uh, check out our episode on Blackula. On,
1: uh, that was one of the early ones. Yeah, one maybe. of the
2: early ones. It's there on Blackula. and indeed the name of Cat Williams vampire is Dr. Mama Waldy, which is the same name of the vampire and Blackula. So that this is a direct uh inheritor or um uh what you know, descendant, descendant. Mm-hmm. De- descendant from Blackula which was such a better movie.
1: Right. That's why it's like, damn, Blackula is somewhere like, you couldn't do a little bit better than that. And it also, I I could see Dion Taylor trying to pull, I, I don't know, I don't, Megatex or Canon from those black horror films. Like even the guy who played Candyman uh, appeared in this movie, but it's just like such lowbrow humor. Um, going back to the women's thing, this is the last thing I'm going to say about women. Um, like I said, Cronut's character did pretty well. He did a good job, not objectifying women, not harassing women, the entire movie, um, until the very end where he has to save his little cousin, Allie Black, who is like completely in, you know, Savage Fenty underwear tied to this thing. She's been captured by Mama Waldy, um, and- He comes in to save her, but not before first being like, damn, if you wasn't my cousin, like, well, we could we could still make it work. And it it was just so cringy. Like, you know, there were only four or five people in the theater. So we could all hear the the discomfort of everybody being like, what? Like, not an incest joke just because men are trash. Like. You got to do better than that. Like you're making the audience like. Physically uncomfortable and triggered. It, it it just was not well received. It was like like who watched that in editing and said, "Yeah, let's just keep that." Who cares? It's funny to fuck your cousin. Who cares? Against their will, it's funny I, to rape not, your a cousin. not a woman,
2: not a woman, not a woman, not a woman. I, I do want to. I don't know.
1: And while we're on cringy moments, uh, if if you can stomach all that, you're going to get slapped in the face with ableism out the wazoo. Right. Uh, Because there's one character who is like a Trump Gary Owen, who died in the first movie, comes back this movie as like the racist next door neighbor who's in a wheelchair. Which if you go to Atlanta, you know that that dynamic doesn't even really work. There are obviously racist people in Atlanta, but like they're fully formed like all black neighborhoods in atlanta so it, it it's kind of nonsensical for like two black people in a neighborhood to live across the street from a war veteran racist black person like you just oh,
2: white person a Race, white person yeah
1: racist white person i said gary owen
2: but but you're right Yeah, yeah. you said racist black person
1: racist white right. person i apologize and so obviously car Carl Black and Cronut go over there to talk to him. Oh, of course he has like the Miss Parker from Friday style wife who's just watering the grass, practically naked. Um, Her
2: name's Bunny. One of the three named women characters in yeah. the film, out of the sixty characters in the yeah. film. Yeah,
1: this was like a white woman named Bunny Shocker, because sometimes they call white women snow buddies. Was she white? Yeah she she was like mixed race, like most of the other. <laughs> like like Lorena and um but calling her buddy to me said oh she's white strange
2: interesting
1: very strange um so they go over there to harass him and it's like he's a Trump supporter there are tons of reasons to make fun of him for being racist and believing uh, in
2: bullshit sorry one one plot point uh they didn't go over there to make fun of him they went over there to investigate their new neighbor and then and then what ensues is like lots of shenanigans um but yeah keep going sorry
1: and obviously what do they do they make fun of the fact that he's in a wheelchair even though we are given tons of reasons to make fun of him they are just like that's why your legs don't work and then carl black proceeds to like punch him in the legs because he's paralyzed
2: and, and in the his bit legs is like oh i don't feel it because my legs are paralyzed you stupid idiot or like yeah uh. It just like
1: the Three Stooges had better bits than this. Like it was so ridiculous, and obviously the R word is used all throughout the movie
2: to describe people three, as slow and three times. Yeah, it's used. It's oh, used more three than three
1: times. times. It was just like y'all got to do some better writing than this. Like this is, I I had better jokes at the lunch table in sixth grade. Like what is going on? Come on, Mike Epps. I really want to like Mike Epps, and I I know that there's a place for. Mike Epps in that comedy, but it's just like, uh, you know, um, I showed up this the other day. I have a friend on TikTok. His name is Ryan Ken X. Please go follow him. And, um, he made this funny TikTok the other day about like, you know, sis hit cisgender heterosexual like comedians from the 90s and it was it's so funny it was so like Ooh, uh, I, I hate my wife y'all uh, all she do all day is uh let the baby breastfeed when i want the titty <laughs> and Say that's some titty for me right and that's literally like what those sets sounded like in the 90s fine But I don't want to hear those sets. I mean, Ryan did an amazing impersonation of this, but like we don't get to, we don't have to hear those sets of that bullshit bottom of the barrel comedy in 2021. Hated it.
2: Uh, So one of the movies we're going to cover on this show again is going to be the movie Slight in um, in the coming weeks. Definitely go check that out. But in that movie is a comedian uh, Carmen Esposito, right? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I her, and, and we we went and saw her do. Um, uh, I think, sorry, they. I'm gonna use they. I I don't remember their pronouns. They. Um, they're set at uh, sort of a small theater. It was like super intimate. I think it was like maybe 20 people there. It was great. And one of their their bits was, "Hey, if you need a word to be funny, like you're a terrible comedian, right? If you need terrible, if you ter- need to
1: make fun of somebody in a wheelchair." for a joke you're not a comedian you're just a
2: motherfucking bully it 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 was so and that i mean what they said really resonated to me because if you need the you know the r word to be funny you're not doing it right and a lot of it uh a lot of the bits were you know black men calling each other black men like bitches like you're a bitch you're a bitch you're a bitch and if you took away the word bitch you said okay all right all right comedians you can't use the word bitch you can then these comedians would not be able to do half of their set.
1: Not at all. It's funny because people comedy looks like this is a broader conversation, right? Because we're gonna start talking about our TikTok in a second because I want to address some things. Comedy looks like it's so easy because it's it's essentially talking, right? And so people are like, I'm a comedian. I, I, I talk. I talk loud I talk loud and cuss. It's like, that does not mean you're a comedian, even though like a couple of those boxes check on what comedians do. And there is an art and dynamic of like punching up and yes anding. And I know- um Like recently, one of our TikTok videos went viral because Ben was like, do this white suburban mom bit. And I I do a very good white suburban mom, uh, specifically Southern. And the dynamic works because of the specific phrases that I'm saying, because I'm not just making fun of some like Karen out there in the ether. I am impersonating teachers that I've had I'm impersonating directors that I've had I've impersonating softball coaches that I've had like you can tell that I have been inundated with these white women that do not think that they are racist when they are and so I can now, emulate that character and of course tons of people are like I know exactly who you're talking about I know exactly who that character is and then there are a slew of people there are literally people arguing on that comment section right now I'm never going to respond to these comments there are tons of people being like well if a white person did the, if this was reverse would it be this funny it's like when you say if this was reversed do you mean if slave if white people were enslaved like how far does this reversal go back because when white people are sometimes making fun of a black character It's like, do you know this person or are you just like taking guesses of stereotypes? Like, I think if I saw a very like if you like sometimes you do an impersonation of my mom and it's funny because, you know, my mom, my mom says those phrases to you. I know who my mom is. That's why the dynamic works, because you intimately know certain things my mom says. And you're not, you know, doing like, I'm gonna go eat some chicken and watermelon. It, it's not minstrelsy. It's like, these are the specific phrases that your mother says and that you say now. And I've gotten to know that person intimately. And so that, it, it frustrates me when people are like, you're just being racist. And it's like, you're not actually seeing the the bigger picture here is that I, I have an intimate knowledge of the pipe of person that has done me the most amount of harm. That's why this joke is funny because I can imitate what they sound like. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, so I think there's there's a lot to unpack here. And one of the things that it comes down to is I had a friend Ramona tell me like listen, when you when you do comedy, make sure that you're punching up. Right. right, And so there's a
1: power dynamic here. There's a
2: power dynamic here. So for example, when a black person makes fun of a white suburban mom, there's really not any repercussions that involve lynchings or involve a loss of political rights. When white people have historically made fun of black people in, you know, blackface, minstrelsy, the repercussions lead to lynchings, lead to um, the lack of voting rights. Being like, "Hey, look at how stupid black people are," because we have our entire form of comedy,
1: and later that leads to like black genocide and right. death of black people. Right?
2: Yes. Yeah. So that the consequences are so much greater and intense when you consider when you consider the historical context, and as far as um, uh. I guess me making fun of your mom, I'm not making fun of your mom. I'm more of like reflecting on how your mom would tell you to do something Mm -hmm. as a form of like making you laugh in a very, very like personal, intimate context. And it works. Right. it,
1: It wouldn't work on, you know.
2: Well, yeah, and it, it wouldn't work if I were to do this in front of a group of people, right? Who There's, did not know her, right? Yes. There's situational comedy that's appropriate between two individuals who have a intimate relationship, right? And that joke, therefore, is not appropriate in front of like other groups of people. And I think that's like also a huge, a huge distinction as well. And then also as far as the ableism, it doesn't stop with Gary Owens bit. Like it also happens where Freeze, the character from the first movie comes oh, back God. Oh, right? to life cuz he, comes he back died in the first one. He yes. dies but actually he was just unconscious and he has lost the the use of both of his legs. And so he walks around with um crutches. And the whole, there's a running bit in which he can't walk properly. He falls down the stairs. He has trouble getting into a car. He falls down getting to the car. And that just is not fucking funny to me. Yeah. Like, have you ever actually seen someone with that disability struggling? It's not funny. And what this kind of comedy does, it associates comedy to this real-life situation so that maybe viewers who go and see this happening... Instead of supporting this person, who might have fa- fallen. Instead of uh, you know working to create universal design, the idea of making all places accessible, you laugh at these kinds of people. It's not fucking funny. I'm tired of it. Fuck you, Dion Taylor, for doing this. Like, Barry,
1: seriously. I, I also think it is. Or
2: and King Bach and King Bach. Do... Well,
1: not him because I was just thinking about how much I loved King Bach in Black Jesus. And it worked so so it it really comes down to like directing and writing and are you know when you walk into a room and says like so your character is going to be cast as a person who uses crutches who constantly falls like some of that is on King Bach and his agent to be like yeah no but I, I understand like being an actor and being like nobody else is hiring me right now but his character in black Jesus was so elevated and like cause I'm not just sitting here shitting on like black male comedians like Black Jesus was hilarious. Yeah, and it's, it's the really same good. sort of like gang of misfits, but they're doing comedy actually about something. Like they're bu- they're building a fucking community garden to build weed and, and put that shit back into the neighborhood. And they made that funny. So it can be done with this same group of misfits. Even Friday after next is actually about something. It's not as good as Friday, but it's about something. Whereas this movie is 75% let's harass an our neighborhood neighbors
2: um i i do want to clarify though i think i, I want to be like fuck you deon taylor for doing this specific thing not <laughs> fuck you overall right like sometimes you need people to say fuck you for doing this specific kind of thing it doesn't mean that these directors are terrible i think when you watch the first movie to the second movie i do see a, a measure of growth as far as like Yes. Um, slow, getting... slow but steady. Slow but steady, and you know, I, I think, I think there's something to be said that there as well. But um, I don't know. I think on on that note, maybe maybe we should take a break. I'm I'm a little heated.
1: Yeah, let's do that. This episode of the Sci-Fi Side was brought to you by Roam Loud. You know I love my leggings. I like to sit all freaking day. 80% of my closet is leggings because it reflects, you know, what I do with my life, which is a lot of yoga and a lot of content creating. And a bitch needs to be comfortable to do those things. So shop Roam Loud. You can get 15% off using the promo code Mess 15 because, you know, my brand is Hot Mess Yoga, baby. I'm one of their brand ambassadors. So shop Rome Loud. Oh, please, please, please get you some of them biker shorts. You can wear them underneath, like, you know, dresses and shit as you make your way to these cookouts this summer. Again, shop Roam Loud. Use the promo code Hot Mess 15 Let's get back to the show. Okay, we're back. Uh, we're going to try to wrap up with a little bit of positivity, okay? A little bit of positivity because we, we dragged this man, but he deserved to be dragged. You got people... Like, you got a whole woman on a table unconscious, and you got Michael Blackson coming in and licking her, sucking her on her toes. Like, it's just weird. Anyway, but some things that were funny, there were two cops that were uh, in the movie. Uh, one was played by uh Haha ha Davis or Carlos Davis, and the other one was played by Clifton Powell. And they were great.
2: That works. Why does that fucking work? Well, yeah, because you have the uh, the one cop, it was his first day on the job, and then you have this old jaded cop who's been there forever. And the first cop is, like, really wanting to do the job right. And the second cop is, like, I don't care. I'll take out my gun and shoot you right now type of thing. And that dynamic was so fantastic. And uh, why else does it work, do you think? Well, because the the high and the low.
1: The high and the low, but also the cops were black. Oh, the, yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I the, know that that was, like, too spot on. But it, it works because, like... Going back to my, why does it work when a black woman plays a white suburban mom? Why does it work when two officers are black and one has been in the field a long Like, that works because the minute they come on scene, I know somebody's not going to fucking die. Like, so, so that, when that cop car pulled up, I got excited. I was like, these are two very funny guys. I mean, Clifton Powell just has arranged for days. Like, you know, we loved him in um, Black Lightning. But it was so funny to see their dynamic. They were not the same person. They were not the same age. And they delivered completely different characters uh, to it. And also, at one point, they got into a back and forth with uh, Mama Walde played by Cat Williams, where uh, the older cop was like, get your ass out here looking like midnight. And and Cat Williams was like, if I met like, where do you get off calling me darker than you? He was like, if I'm midnight, you too nice. And, and those parts were hilarious. But if that was Mike Epps and Lil Duvall, it would have been like,
2: if I'm a bitch, you a bitch, bitch. It's yeah. like, okay. It, it, it didn't work. And then the other thing that did work for me is that there's this neighborhood watch. Guy, yes, I
1: I don't fucking know who
2: who rides around on a tricycle and is just so um creepy. He's like, Yeah, that's what I do. I creep and And I snitch. Yeah, it's like dispatch the snitch. Where yeah, yeah. his name is Snitch, and uh, his he has a great death scene, right? Like, um, and it it just his character worked for me, right? Because it wasn't about making fun of people, it was about him, you know. Sort of making fun of this idea of the overly concerned uh, neighbor who's constantly on the neighborhood watch, constantly looking for something to be like nervous or upset about, and that that worked for me.
1: That character had a mantra and an essence, which I, in acting classes I've taken, it's like. Like, what is your care? Like, what would your character wake up and say to themselves every morning in the mirror? Like, if a character doesn't have that, or you're like, I don't know what that character would say, you got to do some some development there. I will also say that, um, so there's this final scene where Mama Walde, we didn't really give the plot because it doesn't fucking matter, but Mama Walde, the vampire, obviously, you know, we're leading I, up to I killing gave, him. Sorry,
2: I gave the plot. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, them them. Well, I'm saying you didn't talk
1: neighbor. about like how he was obsessed with his wife and stuff like that.
2: Oh yeah, but that's fine.
1: It doesn't matter. So at the end of the movie, Cat Williams is obviously it's like the final scene. They're they're trying to kill Cat Williams, and they successfully kill him but as he's pushed into the sun and dying uh cat williams goes global warming is real <laughs> and then completely combusted and it was so random i i could see cat williams saying like i'm gonna say 20 lines as i fall to my death and they chose like you know the 15th best one but it was super funny and also at the end of the movie Lorena, Carl Black's wife, is, uh has a opportunity to kill Cat Williams. And as she's about to kill Cat Williams, she has all these flashbacks, right? This flashback sequence takes four fucking ever. And this flashback sequence shows that she probably shouldn't kill him and she should probably leave her husband because the whole flashback sequence shows like, uh, like, Cat Williams' character is like, come live with me, be with me, be together with me. Enter flashback of all of these horrible experiences that she's had with her current husband. And I was like, oh my God, Ben, she might actually leave Carl Black. Now this is exciting. I can get into this. But um, at the end of this 20 minute flashback sequence... She doesn't even kill Cat Williams. Carl Black probably sees like, "Oh my god, this bitch is about to leave me. Let me kill Mama Walde.
2: Okay, that's really interesting because the flashback sequence is is Mike is I thought was Carl Black's flashback sequence.
1: No, it's Lorena's. Cuz she's the one who's like not being held by Mama Walde and she was and she had the opportunity to kill him.
2: Right. and so and so, but Mike Epps is like feeling really inconsequential and that's why they were showing him getting beat up by Mike Tyson and showing him, you know, getting beat up by Charlie Murphy in the first movie and all these other other things. So I thought the flashback sequence was from his perspective, which motivated him to kill, Dr. Mama Waldie. I thought it
1: was from hers, which, if, if we're not clear about who the flashback sequence was for, that's probably pretty bad.
2: Yeah. Anyway, the the point being, I think the main takeaway is that Carl Black is not a sympathetic character, nope. and if Lorena left Carl Black, I think, you know, she might have been more happy at, at the end of the day. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I do Lorena wanna, has no autonomy. I, I do want to point out, like, the one plot uh, hole that we did not discuss or plot um part that we didn't discuss is similar to Lacula that blackula's primary motivation is to find his lost love and sort of from like you know hundreds of years ago and in modern day he sees a woman played by the same character same actress from his uh past mm-hmm. and sort of associates his past love to this current modern love.
1: That's what I was talking about when I said like we didn't discuss it. Right. And so
2: that plot point is this same plot point in here where Lorena, it was actually, you know, maybe, I don't know, reincarnated or whatever, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago. And so, you know, Cat Williams, AKA Dr. Mamawaldi has been searching for her in the modern day sense. It turns out for her to be Lorena, which is this uh, That idea of having the same uh, character or actor play a, a different person um, in a different time context is a very fantastical thing. Like, for example, Outlander does it, uh, Blackula does it, and you'll see it uh, sort of often uh, back and forth. And I think it plays with this gothic idea of the mirroring self. Uh, this idea that we can't really escape from our descendants or our ancestors, and I think there's something going on there in the zeitgeist. I wouldn't put that on Meet the Blacks too. I don't think they were thinking. <laughs> it was that so through. rushed.
1: I was like, actually, I want to spend more time here and less time bopping around with Lil Duval and Mike Ipps. Like, yeah, yeah. Spend the, more time on the past. Yeah, story the flashback
2: line. scenes were cool when they were in like the you know 17, uh, probably 18th century. Uh, I was
1: like, oh, costumes. why are they here? Yeah, why are cool. they the only two ones? What dance are they at? But you know, we don't get any of that. We get like, you a B nigga. No, you a nigga? Nigga? It's just like, oh,
2: well, okay. <laughs> I mean, even even Carl Black when he's hearing that story from Dr. Aldi was like, wow, that was a great story. I was like, yes, we actually agree with you. Uh, the flashback scenes were a lot of fun, but other than that, you know, this film just I think failed in in you know a lot of ways. I. They just didn't bring, they didn't bring enough to the vampire yeah. sort of. Um, Cat
1: Williams carried this. Like any laughs that did happen, it was Cat Williams working his ass off, staying up late, being like, "How can I save this movie?" He did his best, but he went down with the sinking ship.
2: Yeah, it's true. And if you are interested in vampire comedy, like what we do in the Shadows, is amazing. Both like the TV show and the movie, I I love it, love it, love it, love it. And I felt like. I feel like they could have done some cool stuff here. You know, something that you said, you know, it would have been really fun to see like a vampire who like lost their teeth and like has to only drink through a straw, like their blood.
1: Or like a vampire with gold teeth. Like, vampire like with make gold it teeth. black vampire. I want to see some...
2: Like grills. Yeah. I want to see like, some
1: locks. I want to like... I, even Cat Williams in that like like even Blackula had a fro like if I I want my vampires black as fuck.
2: I guess Vampire in Brooklyn sort yes of does,
1: had a Jerry curl yeah. But Cat Williams was very black in the movie, but it, it, everything was degrading. Like, well, remember well, that I, joke he told? Him,
2: like once
1: again, the black man says no to education,
2: <laughs> which was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I I think like you mean like so I want the not saying like characters in here were not black. You're not saying Yeah, they that. were. Yeah. You're you're saying more in terms of like a celebration of black culture yes. within the um I guess the genre of vampire fiction.
0: Yes, not right? just
1: con- like constant insults. Like y'all act out here acting like Octavia Butler ain't got a whole fledgling like you could have drawn from right. like there could have been some very beautiful black authentic moments that celebrated joy but none of that was there
2: yeah and i think if they had read fledgling right they (laughs) they could have actually played with some of the tropes that fledgling sort of in, in a more serious manner explores but then you can you can have this uh mirroring self that makes it funny right it brings comedy to it i mean the
1: irony of carl black writing like the worst novel ever and that being wrapped in the worst movie ever was just like Like, damn, Carl, why can't you write better than this? Damn, Carl, you're not creative. I was like, is this Deion Taylor just saying that he hates himself and is just making like a, a meta version of how he feels about the work that he creates. Because yeah, because he did. Like,
2: I think he, he, him, and another person wrote the screenplay. But yeah, you're right. I think on did someone was there an actual screenplay for this? I think they probably fed it into an AI system and the yeah. AI just just pushed <laughs> pushed out the script. Which actually, AIs there are <sighs> AI programs that can do that.
1: With that being said, man, why don't you warp up the show?
2: In conclusion. This piece of black funny fantasy is not very funny.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Sci. Next week for episode 41, we will be watching Sorry to Bother You, the 2019 film directed by Boots Riley. So please watch Sorry to Bother You, and we will see y'all next week for the show. Bye, y'all.
2: Thank you for listening to Believe.